Afternoon, good evening. You are back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman, and we are doing a second part in our series on the end of the world. Eschatology. It's the study of last things. Comes from the Greek eschatos, the last things. Do you know that in the United States, almost one quarter of American adults believe that the apocalypse, the end of the world, whether it's a religious apocalypse or a secular apocalypse, is going to occur in their lifetime. Do you think the U.S. is the outlier on this point? Well, you'd partially be right. There seems to be a whether it's because of evangelical groups or other elements in our political discourse, we are at the top of the range globally, but there are a whole bunch of countries in our zone. Turkey, South Africa, Indonesia, Mexico, Argentina, China, Japan, Poland, all these places, somewhere in the vicinity of one out of five or one out of four adults believe the end of the world is going to happen in their lifetime. Globally, it's about one in six. Now, you think of end times theology as having reached its peak around the fire and brimstone stuff of St. Augustine or some of the 19th century stuff, Paris Commune for your historians out there, Marxism and so forth, whether it's secular, religious, this noise around end of times. I would argue there's never been a period with more focus and more awareness around the impending apocalypse, as there is now. We're joined here in our Eschatology 102 show, because last week we did a little primer. We're talking about Abrahamic faiths tonight. We're talking about Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and the view of the end of times in those religions. We're not purporting to talk about the Eastern religions, just because we need to narrow the scope. So last week we did the primer. We'll revisit that a little bit. But this week we're going to ask the question, so what? So if you think the end of the world is upon us, whether you're listening as a, a believer in a faith or maybe an agnostic or even an atheist listener, you still may believe that we're coming up on end of times. What now? What does that mean in terms of your daily action from a spiritual perspective, from a practical perspective? How does people's view that the apocalypse is upon us affect world politics today. I think you'd be surprised. I think both of our guests tonight are going to tell you in some degree that it is extreme. That belief is extremely impactful on world politics and affects political discourse, discourse and sociopolity in ways that you'd be surprised by and are pervasive. Okay. Without further ado, we are joined by two acclaimed scholars, learned gentlemen. Rabbi Lance Sussman, Dr. Rabbi, Professor Lance Sussman. It's his first time on Equal Footing. He's Rabbi Emeritus of the Reform Congregation, Kenneseth Israel, in the Philadelphia area. He's the immediate past chair of the Board of Governors of Gratz College, a wonderful uh, Jewish-oriented 
educational institution also in Pennsylvania. Um, he's a historian of the American Jewish experience. Professor Rabbi Sussman has taught at Binghamton University, Princeton, and Hunter College, and other places. He's the author and editor of several books and numerous articles. He's currently working on a documentary on the history of the Jewish community in Philadelphia with History Making Productions. Rabbi Sussman, welcome to Equal Footing. My pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dove. Rabbi, you're joined by a veteran, Professor David Weddle. He's been on the program a couple of times, and we just love having you on, Professor. Professor Weddle is Professor Emeritus of Religion at Colorado College. He's taught courses for many years in comparative theology and ethics, American religions, and the philosophy of religion. Professor Weddle served as the chair of the department, has been active on many faculty committees, and he was chosen as senior scholar by the Rocky Mountain Great Plains region of the American Academy of Religion. He previously taught at Cornell College in Iowa, where he chaired the Department of Religion for 20 years. Professor Weddle is a lifetime honorary member of the American Academy of Religion, and he's the author of a wonderful book, recommend picking it up, called Miracles, Wonder and Meaning in World Religions, and a more recent book that I read in preparation for a previous show called Sacrifice in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Professor Weddle has written numerous other scholarly articles and book reviews. His current essays examine the role of religion in American politics, apropos to tonight's show. Professor Weddle, welcome to Equal Footing again. Thanks for joining. Uh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Let's give a, a, a super brief cliff note version for those who weren't able to tune in last week. And you can catch all previous episodes of Equal Footing on all the major podcast platforms. Our, our wonderful producer always reminds me to say that, and I don't. You can obviously get it on SoundCloud. We have our whole library, but also on Spotify and iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, etc. Just look up Equal Footing or Equal Footing with Dove Tusman. Listen to last week's show, Eschatology 101, but help us out, gentlemen. Rabbi Sussman, let's start with you. Can you give us, <laughs> this is a challenge, can you give us a two or three minute overview of the Jewish view of the end of the world? In two minutes. Okay, that's quite the challenge, but let's let's give it a shot. Um, in terms of its uh, origin, you have to go all the way back to the period of ancient Israel and the, the prophet Isaiah in the 8th century BCE, where you read in chapter 2, and it will come to pass in the end of days. And, and that, that verse is really the foundation for this topic and for this discussion. And various models of the end of days develops throughout the biblical period, extending into um, the second temple period. And, uh, and then with the, rise of uh, Christianity begins to go in directions beyond Judaism. Um, in terms of my purview, uh, within Judaism, it unleashes all types of messianic impulses, including early Christianity, the Bar Hukba rebellion of the second century, and then various expressions of anticipation of the end into modern times, and then finding, although Jewishly influenced, secular expressions of the same, which remain not only important, but often urgent 
in our own time. Now, just to wrap on the theology, and we'll get into the movements that come out of it and come out of the, these beliefs over over thousands of years. <laughs> we hear in Judaism about Rabbi Sessman about the war of of Gog and Magog. It seems to be central in in theological some some sects of of uh, in in Judaism kind of. Um, uh, downplay it, that it's really a metaphor itself. But do you want to explain a little bit about this? It's, it's, it's central, is it not, to Jewish eschatology? Yes, it's an important theme. And as you correctly said, uh, it has many variable forms. And it is part of this apocalyptic view of the end of times in which there will be great battles between good and evil, and light and and dark. I wouldn't say there's a single normative view of what this looks like, but there there's a, a variety, even to the point where if it's Gog from Magog, meaning the, the first letter there is actually a preposition, or whether they're two separate entities. And and this would be the the more sensational kinds of view of the ends of time in which Various elements um, fight it out before ultimately a kingdom of God can be established on earth. Right. Thank you for that. So, Professor Weddle, I'm going to probably embarrass any Jewish educator that's been involved in my life to date, and I'm probably going to, to some extent, make uh, Rabbi Sussman blanch as well when I say this. But uh, as a Jew, I kind of think of our eschatology, our view of kind of the, the last thing, so to speak. I'm going to do this in a really blood fashion, but you know, God returns the Jewish people to the land of Israel. God restores the house of David and the and the, the temple, which would be the third temple in Jerusalem. God creates a regent from the house of David, i.e. the Mashiach or the Messiah, which leads the Jewish people and ushers in a messianic age, which is Rabbi Sussman referred to as like an as well as an age of justice and righteousness and peace. All nations, I think this is part in part, like all other nations recognize that the God of Israel is the only true God. God resurrects the dead. Interesting little bit there, um, if I remember correctly. And then there's like a new heaven and a new earth, kind of this new heavenly kingdom, so to speak. Now, I'm sure I got it. <laughs> I, I may not have got it right, but that's kind of the general overview of the way I remember thinking about kind of the way that uh, the Jewish view of the end of the end of times is, or at least end of current times. If I got it generally right, give me like a little check mark, Professor Weddle, but I'm wondering where does, where does Christianity go from there? How do things change? And if I got it wrong, definitely correct it. But what changes now when we go from uh, Judaism to Christianity and then, and then, you know, centuries later to Islam? All right. Yeah. The, the connection between Judaism and Christianity is clearer in the literature and in history than the connection to Islam. So. Let's start with that. Uh, there's only one half of one book in the Hebrew Bible that is technically apocalyptic, and that is the second half of the book of Daniel. What happens between the first half of Daniel, probably written during the Babylonian captivity, is that Daniel is the hero of the faith. He resists assimilation. By the time we get to the second half of Daniel, and Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid ruler, is now in charge of the land, and his persecution of the people and his desecration of the temple are outrageous, then a simple witness resisting assimilation is no longer enough. 
now people want to be assured that these empires that have ruled over the Jewish people for centuries are going to be wiped out and overwhelmed by the stone cut without hands that comes from the mountain in Daniel's vision. Right. That's, a, that's one we spoke about last week and, and fascinating. And some people have referred to, have, have said that's evocative of like an asteroid, for example, hitting the earth, this stone cut without hands. It's a very particular reference, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I think that the point of the reference is to say this is not of earthly construction. It comes from God. So the intervention that brings an end to the moral decline of humanity and makes possible the destruction of the wicked and the redemption of the righteous, this all requires divine intervention. In apocalyptic literature, uh, particularly the books that are written in the period between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, these books are called pseudepigrapha because they are written under the names of great heroes in Jewish history. Zephaniah, Ezra, Enoch, and so forth. These all emphasize that the human situation is so dire that only divine intervention works, and only divine intervention can be justified if those who have died under injustice and oppression are resurrected. So it's the apocalyptic writings that introduce the element of resurrection. So in both in Judaism and in Christianity, the end of times involves resurrection of the righteous, resurrection of people that were doing good stuff. Well, in the Christian vision, everybody gets resurrected. I see. But the, the evil are resurrected precisely so that they can be punished. Mm. So the real the real question I think we should ask is why would anyone want to know how the world will end? I mean, if before we know the, sorry before we go there, Professor Warren, because we're going to take our first break. We're going to go into that kind of the so what part, but just well, tie this in for listeners, and I want to talk about Islam for a moment as well. This does this resurrection in in Christian theology of the end of times coincide with a second coming of Jesus? Yes. In all three of these traditions, the final judgment is rendered by a messianic or heroic figure that comes from beyond this world and brings divine justice. Now, in Islam, there's even a further piece of this edifice, right, that's built. So there's a kind of two hero figures, right? Does Jesus comes back, and then there's also... Another prophet that comes back. There's like two. Uh, it's 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 a combined effort. Am I right on that? Well, once you introduce resurrection, then a lot of old characters show up again. <laughs> so, for example, in the Jewish tradition, Elijah pops up at the end time. Uh, but in Islam, the messianic figure called the Mahdi uh, does appear. Jesus appears. But Jesus appears to offer reverence to the Mahdi. So in these end-time visions, there is always a hierarchy. 
as you pointed out, in the Jewish vision, the land is returned to the people. Those who have opposed Israel are punished. And the whole rest of the world comes to recognize Israel's God. So that's that hierarchy. And in Christianity, of course, it is Jesus who assumes the throne in the kingdom of God. Similarly, in Islam, the Mahdi is superior to Jesus. I see. And so in all three cases, it's, it's the, there's the, um, the transcendence of, of the faith that's at the center of the story that, that presumably kind of, um, is in, yes. is in the mm-hmm. full position. And does that come as a surprise to you? <laughs> no. Uh, now the, the Antichrist figure f- shows up in the apocalypse in Christianity and Islam. Uh, Rabbi Sussman, before we go to our first breaks, we're going to wrap up in this primer. Is there a similar type of figure in Jewish eschatology and the Jewish view of end of times? It's like a, 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 a consummate evil figure that, that is particular to the apocalypse? I don't think there's a, an anti-Messiah, so to speak, in the Jewish tradition. There, there, is a, there is a prophetic precursor to the Messiah, but not really, so far as I know, an, an anti-Messiah or, or Christian parlance and, and any Christ. And all these things have to play out before you get to the actual end of days. These are kind of massive preliminary battles of sorting everything out cosmically. The good is with good and bad is with bad. And then once once the Messiah reestablishes the um the Jewish commonwealth with Jerusalem at the center, um then you can proceed to resurrection and uh what's called the next world or alum Habah. But first there is a lot of terrestrial, almost political activity taking place before you can get there. And do all three of the Abrahamic faiths have this concept of the day of judgment coinciding with this end of times? I, I know that to be true in Christianity and Islam. Is that also true in, in Judaism? It, there, there's a debate uh, among medieval rabbis. Uh, day of judgment in Hebrew is Yom Hadin. And every year, High holidays, we we have um, many references uh, to Yom Hadin, the the day of uh, the day of judgment. The high holy days prepare us uh, for final judgment, uh, and so some rabbinic scholars came down on the side that a final day of judgment actually isn't even necessary because this kind of accounting. Spiritual accounting is taking place on an annual basis, and others argue that there still will be a major Yom Hadin at the end of the teleological process. Got it. Very interesting stuff. We're talking about the end of the world, or at least the end of, of existing times and the uh, beginning of a, of a heavenly kingdom in all three of the major, or the, all three of the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism and Christianity and Islam. We're talking to Professor David Weddle, who's a professor of comparative theology and ethics, Professor Emeritus at Colorado College, Professor and Rabbi Lance Sussman. Uh, professor Sussman has been a 
uh, pulpit rabbi and he's well, as well as the chair of the board of governors of Gratz College and has taught at Binghamton University, Princeton, and other uh, educational institutions. Fascinating discussion. Participate. Give us your questions, your comments on eschatology, the study of the end times, the last things. You can call in and ask our esteemed guests a question by calling 718-303-9090. 718-303-9090 is the number to participate live. If you want to text in a comment or question, you can do so by SMS or by WhatsApp. To a different number to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, and it's a hard, it's a hard rain are gonna fall. Apropos to the end of time, we have lived through a very scary pandemic. In fact, and I was reading off those stats before we'll get to this, how what people think will represent the apocalypse, the majority view, and this was taken, this is a poll that was done prior by Statista that was done prior to the uh, COVID pandemic in 2018 and uh, almost a quarter of respondents thought that the end of the world would take the form of a global pandemic. Isn't that interesting? Well, trying to make the segue here to one of our corporate sponsors, <laughs> trying DocuVax. Uh, DocuVax is a company that uh, helps you classify and store and easily access your medical records, which can be very helpful in the context of a pandemic. Your records include your immunization records, your lab results, x-rays, MRIs, etc. Your medical records do not belong to the government. They do not belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your primary care provider. The latter two may need them at times, but those records belong to you. And too few people actually have all of their medical records in one place and have them easy in a, in a way that's easily understood and easily stored. Welcome to DocuVax. You got to check it out. Your iPhone, your Android device, you can get the app. D-O-C-U-V-A-X. Put it in your app store. You can download it for free. And then very cheaply, as little as $7 a month, you can have all of your medical records in a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And you get, this is the best part, you get nurses and doctors on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate those records, explain them to you, or to get a reference to a specialist when you need it without having to go to your primary care provider. So sign up for DocuVax. You can also do it online, docuvax.com. And when you sign up for DocuVax, you get all of your medical data in one place. That data is never accessible to anybody but you unless you want to share it privately using a very cool proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure at all times. So, and you also get reminders. I should have said this. I'm going to say it here at the end. You get reminders when you are not up to date on a particular vaccine or a blood test or an important preventative screening, like a colorectal exam or breast cancer screening. Take control of your medical file. Sign up at docuvax.com or get download the docuvax app, or you can call. And if you mention that you heard about docuvax on equal footing, you can get group discounts for a group of employees uh, or uh, congregation members or even in a large family. You can get group discounts. You have to mention you heard about it on equal footing and you only get it by calling 
859-1933. That's the number for group discounts at DocuVax, 833-859-1933. I've been caught. We're back on equal footing. We're back talking about the end of the world. The world is ending part two. <laughs> we are on with Professor David Weddle, Professor and Rabbi Lance Sussman. And you, gentlemen, you did a great job of very quickly reviewing the v- end of world views within Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Unsurprisingly, there's common themes, right? There's a hero in each story. Um, there's the kind of coming of righteous times. We have to go through some horrible stuff to get there. Uh, unfortunately, each story also, particularly I want to say, and, and not, this is not an anti-Muslim comment and just, just doing the, the pregame research, the, some of that, some of the, uh, the victims in the end times are particularly troublesome in, in, in Islamic eschatology. We'll get to that, but there is, there are victims too. There are, there are folks that end up on the wrong side of the stick and that leads to, views and events in our in our modern day world professor rabbi lance sussman can you give us to get up to the present day and how these views of the end of the world affect what's going on on the world stage today can you give us a little bit of perspective kind of rapidly walk us through the last few thousand years and how the view of the apocalypse and the messianic wars in these faiths has actually affected politics before right we aren't this isn't the first time we're living through this stuff no, I, I think uh, you go prior to the the modern age. I think m- most of the movements that were launched by eschatology were largely religious in nature, and then as you move into the modern period, they also have secular um, secular successors, let's call them, where um, the urgency and the belief in history having a goal uh, is very, very deeply rooted and, depending on circumstance, circumstances, can be very, very, um, very, very um, urgent. Uh, they take the shape religiously in the form of messianic movements. Uh, so, for example, in the 17th century, you had the Shabtai Tzvi messianic movement, um, even in, in modern times, contemporary, we have a very powerful um, messianic theme, for example, uh, in, in the Chabad Lubavitch movement. Um, many people in the Jewish community outside of Chabad Lubavitch um, don't understand it. It seems so foreign to them, but in fact, uh, it's a continuation of a very significant feature of Jewish history, particularly for the last um 2,000 years, so you have that. And then there are the modern appropriations uh, of, of this, what I'm calling teleological view, the belief that history has a beginning and history has an end and a goal and a purpose, uh, and it's translated into other, uh, other categories such as social justice or economic justice. Yeah, we're going to get to kind of this kind of secular uh, uh views around secular eschatology, if you will. It's probably, you know, yeah. but before we do that, there are a number, there's been a, a boom in the last couple hundred years, uh, Professor Weddle, as I understand it, in uh, Christian and Islamic eschatology 
Um, and then, but there was a, a, quite a long period of time, right? Since the period of even of St. Augustine, whatever that is, I don't know, 1500 years ago or something where there wasn't that much talk of the apocalypse. Um, as I understand it, what's, what's, is that, is that, is that true? And, and what's going on that, that, uh, that we now are back on the apocalyptic train in uh, Christian and Islamic uh, eschatology? Right. Well, it's, it's, uh, due in part to what uh, Rabbi Sussman said. Once you think of history as an irreversible train of events, begins at one point and ends at a particular predetermined terminus, once you have that idea of history, and then you experience great disappointment in the historical project, one's enemies overcome you, you find yourself subject to persecution and oppression, then apocalyptic visions begin to rise. And they happen at different points in these different traditions. But apocalypse is basically disappointment with the project of history. Things just don't work out. And so to keep going one has to have the confidence that, in fact, history is moving toward an end predetermined by God that will bring about an era of justice and righteousness. Professor, there was Professor Weddle, you're both professors. Uh, th- there was a, is a, a political sociologist named Shmuel Eisenstadt who, who was a student of uh, this kind of both religious and secular eschatology. And one of the things that I found interesting in his work was uh, talking about the American and French revolutions, not going back whatever, 250 years, um, that they are really the, the, in a sense, the beginning of us uh, seeing eschatology really manifest on the world political stage. Can you talk to that as we start to transition a little bit into talking about kind of how that's, uh, you know, how if we get into Marxism and totalitarianism and so forth. Do you, do you agree with that, and and why so? Well, I think that any vision of the end of the world is going to confront the believer with two possibilities. One, you passively wait for it, saying your prayers, studying your sacred texts, and so on, or you actively seek to transform historical conditions so that they will conform to the vision. And it's that latter view where you have movements that attempt to change historical conditions. There were Christians who believed it was their responsibility in the 19th century to prepare the world for Christ to return. Mm. so that he could receive a world that was moral and at peace. Were the American and French revolutionaries then, Professor Weddle, were they they conscious of this? Were they aware of their project in in certain respects to to allow for a more righteous environment for Christ to return? No. I mean, I think the founding figures of the United States were pretty much wanting to envision a future that did not depend upon a religious commitment. Uh, I don't mean to look, for example, I'm sorry. 
okay for me to comment on that? Yeah, uh, shoot. So I, I, I've been studying um, George Washington's letter to um, the Jewish community of, of Newport, Rhode Island, a very important document in, in American Jewish history. And in that letter, and in at least um, at least uh, two or three dozen other letters that Washington wrote, he references uh, the ancient prophet Micah, Micah, um, with this image of every every man, every person sitting under their vine and and fig tree. So, so even in in George Washington, th- there is this teleological view that history uh, is moving in a direction, and he explicitly connects it, in my opinion, um, to the birth of the United States, and that it, somehow it is part. Of a, of a master plan that history eventually will arrive at some satisfactory goal. So I, I didn't think it's imbued, imbued somewhat, although it's more secularized, with, with some kind of messianic expectation. But I, I could be wrong. Well, that's fascinating. We're going we're gonna to go from American Revolution to Marx. Uh, and the, that, that movement right after the break, how that connects to the end of the world. We're on equal footing. <laughs> professor David Weddle and Rabbi Professor. Uh, do we lose sound here for a second? Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. back on equal footing and i'm sorry about that rabbi professor lance sussman uh, we had a little bit of glitch in, in the audio there but worked out because i wanted to go to you that that question we're now talking a little bit more into the modern day and to what extent was marxism and socialism it's uh, it's kind of a cousin in the modern 20 in the 20th century manifestation of that um, political philosophy driven by uh, view of the end of the world. I, I think they're they're driven again by this idea of teleology that we've been we've been including in this discussion. This idea of a linear history um, that 
could have a goal and it moves in a certain direction, but there is a shift away from the cosmic, away from the metaphysical to material and or social forces um, that determine the shape of, of history. And in the case of uh, Marx and its and its cousin socialism, um, in, in, instead of God being the agent of, of change, the ultimate change in, in history, it's how humans come to understand the dynamics of history and then jump in and actively work to shape that history accordingly, particularly in Marxism, uh, with the idea of class, that they need to reorganize society and fight for particular um, class goals. Um, there's another similarity, though, with the religious world, and, and that is uncertainty uh, in, in different religious traditions as to whether or not people can actually be the players or that ultimately uh, you do the best you can do, and it's God who will make the decision as to whether or not to bring history, well, I, I like the phrase you've been using, the history project, to its conclusion. And there's a lot of tension uh, in, the, in the Jewish tradition and Christian theology as to who has that capacity for agency in, in changing history. Is it, is it something that we as people can actually affect, or do we have to wait for God in God's time to make those decisions for us? Professor Weddle, is that the key difference between kind of a religious view of the end of times and a secular view of the end of times, even if both, uh, you know, viewers are talking, are ultimately aiming for the same thing, kind of a utopian type of world, whether the agency of that utopian world is God or in the Marxist view, it might, it's, it's man doing that work. Is that, is that the key difference? It's about agency of whether it's cosmic, you know, divine agency or human agency? Um. I don't think so, because there are many members of the religious communities who also feel responsible for exercising agency to realize, to the extent that they can, and for the ideal state. So you have Christians that are seeking, in what is called dominion theology, to have political influence over, let's say, the culture of the United States. I think there was some expectation that uh, midterm elections in America would represent such a transformation to a more conservative Christian viewpoint. I'm not quite sure that happened. The point is that there are many actually evangelical Christian leaders who are seeking to establish dominion or politics, economics, society, morality, entertainment, all of these various sectors of popular culture, they're, they're exercising a, a great deal of agency. Yeah, it's, fa- it's, it's a fascinating retort because it's like you're saying, if, if I'm, I'm dumbing this down for my sake, that <clears throat> that that's actually fused. I mean, you may have someone who's, who's secular uh, in terms of the way they're you're purporting to see the end of the world, but they're using some of the same terminologies around 
kind of a fight between good and evil, like the Marxist and and the and the and the um, the ultimate you know victory of a certain group, in that case the working class. Um, but then on the religious side, it also may involve a ton of human agency. Um, and actually, to this point, we. Yeah. Have, there are a couple of questions that, that uh, I'll get to that I think are even better than the ones I came up with and for this uh, segment. Um, and I'll put this on the table for either of you. Um, what, uh, a listener um, points to ethnic, racial, and national su- uh, superiority are often part of end-of-times views, particularly in the Christian world, um, which gets to your point, Professor Weddle. Um, Rabbi Sussman, um, do you, uh, no, go yeah, ahead. Prof- go ahead. I think that's true of all three of these Abrahamic communities. I mean, the final moment in human history becomes the justification of that particular community's faith. I mean, the Christians are big on this, but they're not the only one. Right. Well, here's another. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you. I think it's in part to the concept of um, chosenness, that God picks God's partner in human history. Um, and the, the partner is the, the entity that God works with to bring about ultimately the, the end of days. And the question becomes how much, how much can, that, can that entity actually do to have God decide to bring about the end of days. And some feel there's a great deal of agency on the human side, and others feel you do the best you can, but you have to wait. So in the Jewish community, let's say uh, within the world of the Satmar Hasidim, um, Zionism is heretical because it's too impatient about the Messiah, and other, other groups believe that, Zionism is the beginning of the redemption, and therefore they need they need to jump in. Yeah, you get yeah, very different is. views in the Orthodox uh, Jewish world around around whether it's appropriate to 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 be an agent in that regard. Yes. Well, take for example the Jewish Institute or, or the Temple Institute, which is seeking to promote preparation for sacrificial rites for the Third Temple. Now, that, that kind of activity is, by some of its representatives, said to be the only way in which faithful Jews can live out their faith. And so there are, there are attempts to offer lambs on the Temple Mount, much to the chagrin of the Islamic authorities. I would say that's taking a great deal of agency in attempting to prepare for and create the conditions for the apocalyptic vision. Yeah, and by popular demand, we've gotten requests from listeners to do a show on this effort to reconstruct the Third Temple and Rabbi Ariel's uh, organization, Temple Institute. So maybe we'll have one or both of you back on the show when we do that. I wanted to talk about totalitarianism in the 20th century and totalitarian utopianism. And uh, it was fascinating <clears throat> to me in some of the pregame research to learn how much of that was in part driven by this, again, eschatological thinking, the, the thinking of the end of times. But a listener, beat me to it. And the question on the table here is, uh, this is a a listener, Nicole, who writes, uh, I have heard, and my understanding is that Hitler was a believer in not only the messianic mission, but believed that he was part and an agent to 
the apocalypse, but in a positive sense. Now, there's a lot there. Um, and either one, either of you want to address this, this hot potato. It was, did, 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 what was, what were Hitler's, you know, may his memory be cursed, but a, a uh, what were his eschatological views and how did that, that, that affect, um, his horrible project? Well, he's a clear uh, example. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Rabbi, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was waiting on Professor Weddle, but if you want me to jump in, that's, that's fine. Um, we're, we're separated by half a continent, so it's, I apologize if I misread the verbal, the verbal cues here. Um, it, with Nazism, um, you have a difficult, strained relationship between um, Nazi ideology and traditional expressions of, of Christianity, whether it's Lutheran or, or, or some other branch of, of Christianity. And, and how to bring together, um, so that they, they actually work together, so to speak, but with the Nazi racialized views coming out on top. And certainly Hitler saw himself of, um, tremendous agency in, in moving history along in which the dialectic is, is racial in its, in its content, not, not sin. Not class, but uh, a racial conflict. That if they could only get it right according to their worldview, then then the world will enter a better phase. Uh, so they they actually, in a perverted and demonic way, think they're doing good. It, it's actually sick and um, and murderous. But they they do take the paradigm and twist it uh, in an incomprehensible way. Um, and launch launch a, a, a world war that results in tens of millions of, of deaths in general and uh, an attempt to exterminate the entire Jewish people, which is central to their their teleological worldview, that the Aryans can't lead and control the world until the Jewish race, as they would call it inappropriately, has been completely removed. Professor Weddle, do you, do you agree? Was was the Third Reich, in some sense, self consciously eschatological in its in its project? That's a well. It's all it's always tricky to speculate about that stew of horrific ideas that constituted Hitler's mind. But I would say that he is an example of the point that every utopian vision ultimately ends in authoritarian power. And the reason for that was because to realize the utopian vision, everybody in the world has to conform to it. Right. For example, in, in Jewish eschatology, eventually everybody in the world has to recognize the God of Israel as the only true God. And the agency of the Messiah, the regent from the House of David. I mean, to be fair, uh, all three Abrahamic faiths have hero figures in the end of times that I that, in a certain sense, I guess, very strictly defined or authoritarian. I am willing to apply this critique to all three traditions. I think in order to get universal compliance with the utopian vision, ultimately, you have to eliminate the dissenters, and there will always be dissenters. 
Islamic State takes over an area and they eliminate those who resist them. This is true for Putskins, even if they only use the means of persuasion. What does it mean to convert the world to Christianity? It means to eliminate Jews and Muslims mm. and Hindus and every other dissenting opinion. We've got to take our, pardon me, we've got to take our last break. Fascinating stuff. We're, we're talking about the views of the end of the world and how that affects politics, how that's affected horrible, uh, projects like the Nazi project and how we'll get in this last segment, how it's affecting politics, even in Western democracies today. We're here with Professor David Weddle, Rabbi and Professor Lance Sussman. You're on equal footing. We'll be right back. On equal footing, we try to address uh, topics that are sometimes difficult to talk about and should be talked about. It's a little bit of an awkward transition, but one of those topics is erectile dysfunction. We've had a wonderful sponsor for a long time, Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical takes away the shame around this subject. It affects almost two-thirds of men in their lifetimes, and it affects the emotional health and relationships, certainly sexual health and relationships. There are options out there. There are permanent remedies that do not involve expensive blue pills. Those expensive blue pills are not available to many uh, patients as a result of comorbidities and side effects. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new, I say new because it's been around in Europe and in Canada for a long time, more recently in the United States, but a relatively new effective therapy called Gaines Wave. And it helps people achieve excellent results with respect to ED. Gaines Wave is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It is painless. You do not have to be in Manhattan or the New York area. It's just what the organization's called. You can call anywhere in the United States to Manhattan Medical, and you get a free consultation about their Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. If you said you heard it, heard about it on equal footing, the number to call is 888 888- Three three two eight seven three nine. That's the number for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. Eight 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 three three two eight seven three nine. If you want to remember it, you can also use the the, the words here. Eight 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 E D Q R nine. What's the word for that? Mnemonic. Eight 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 E D Q R nine. Call now again. Get your free consultation. That's a two hundred fifty dollar value. If you mention you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave ED therapy on equal footing, one last time. The number eight 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 three three two eight seven three nine. I've been caught. All right, you're back on equal footing. As often happens, near the end of the show, we get flooded by really good questions and texts. And we also have a caller who's been patiently waiting on line two. We'll take a caller, and let's see. You're on the air. Are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. How are you? Good. Dolph, how are you? Stan, how are you? Stan, nice to hear your voice. Been a while. I haven't heard from you. Yes, yes. You've been traveling the world, around the world in 20 days. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait for your question here at the end of the world. Well, okay. Uh, first of all, with all you know, I, I, what I think, I think your shows are pretty good, but tonight you're too esoteric and too cerebral for me. I don't know about the rest of the crowd. Uh, 
the harsh reality of what you gentlemen talk about the Bible and what the, the, in the end it seems that we want to destroy ourselves. You know, there was a great movie. I don't know if you remember. I think the gentlemen may remember it. I think they're old enough to call it On the Beach, in which we did it. We did have Armageddon. We killed each other. And in the end, it was just Australia left. And the people there were planning, how are we going to end this? So they were all given pills to kill themselves. And that's exactly how it ended the movie. They all killed each other, went to their apartments, took their pills, laid down and died. And that was the end of the world. That was Armageddon. Uh, as I see it, the rest of the, I don't know if the gentlemen will agree, we want this to happen. We write about it so much that we want it to happen. Human being, human species and their thing want this to happen. They say they don't, but I think they do. Stan, that's a great comment. I always love your critique because I was trying to not be cerebral on this topic, but it's pretty raw. Yeah, you know, but before it reminds you hang up the, on me, uh, I just want to wish you a happy holiday. Happy oh, holiday. thank you. Uh, right. And uh, you as well. I always, it's okay, a pleasure. It's ahead, nice to I'm hear listening. you. Um, so, uh, Stan, it reminds me of the, the, um, Japanese philosopher and writer Haruki Murakami wrote, everyone deep in their hearts is waiting for the end of the world to come. And it, to, and there's even, we've had a show on Buddhism uh, before on Equal Footing, and, and we had a Buddhist monk explaining to us, in fact, that the best spiritual practice is to constantly be aware, not only of your own end, your own death, but the end of the end of the world. Um, what, what do you think about this idea that, uh, <laughs> here, uh, professors, um, that uh, that that Stan is is bringing up that in a in a sense that it's that this isn't really a religious. I'm going to put it in my own words. It's not really a religious topic. This is something that that um, we're going to do to ourselves in a certain sense. We want to do to ourselves. Well, if I could I'd go quick first on as we're coming to the end here. Um, I think the caller's question um, is is based on a view of human nature. Uh, how bad are we, or what's what's the mix? And I think it assumes a, a pretty negative view of um, of human nature, which many traditions hold, uh, and that we're not really capable of of saving ourselves, and that's why a beneficent deity needs to jump in. And then to counter that, to give something much softer, since we were talking about Hitler and all, um, you know, when you have a, a progressive movement, um, you, you begin to generalize the teleology, you, you lose your Messiah hero figure, and you begin to talk about a messianic age uh, in which it, the goal is to create a just society without the conversion to any one particular religious viewpoint, and that progressivism can also impact the more modernist branches of, of uh, Judaism and, and Christianity, probably less so in the case of, of Islam in this one instance. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I do want to touch on, on Islam before we, before we go off the air, because we had a number of callers that have, uh, a number of questioners rather, sent in comments and feel like I'm being too soft on this. And I'm wondering if either of you could help understand some, uh, listeners' questions around the tie between Islamic eschatology, the Islamic view of the end of times, and the destruction of the Jews, and, uh, and the destruction of the West as well. Can either of you help with that? Because several listeners have asked questions on that front. Well, I would like to simply re repeat my point. Not one of these apocalypses 
is consistent with any of the others. Apocalypse is a dualistic, absolutist view. One faith, one God is going to emerge triumphant. There's no pluralism in apocalypse, either in its Christian, Jewish, or Islamic forms. I think that we have, we have to realize that there's no way that the progressive vision that Rabbi Sussman was just talking about could possibly be realized unless these apocalyptic visions are abandoned. Mm. Sorry, I don't, don't need to be sorry. No, that's, that's actually, I think, a great way to bring us to closure. Rabbi Sussman, what do you think of Professor Weddle's exhortation that we kind of leave behind? And I say this both from your, your secular view as a, as a, as an academic, but also as your, your view halachically and as a rabbi. What do you think of that exhortation that we leave behind this, uh, view, this dualistic apocalypse, you know, fight between, uh, good and evil and there's one victor? Uh, do, do you, do you agree? Yes. I, I, I love the way he articulated that. Um, either it's an exclusive worldview that includes domination or it's inclusive and you can't have both so i do agree with him it is a immense challenge today for people of faith and people uh, who don't have religious faith but have other types of commitments about um, how to move humanity to if they believe there's a goal or simply how to coexist and do either of you are either of you willing to take the devil's advocacy just as as we wrap up there's some deep spiritual benefit from thinking so strongly about this fight between good and evil and Armageddon and kind of the destruction of the current world and you've only let me, got ask, you, <laughs> Literally. Let me ask you one question if you could know the exact date of your death, would you want to know it? No all right then. You are not an apocalyptic thinker. <laughs> and there's so many examples of apocalyptic movements that have failed. The Millerites, I'm sitting, I'm calling in from Philadelphia, uh, belief that in 1943 the world was going to come to end. And these dates arrive and they don't happen. And, um, you know, what can be learned from those failures? Well, thank you to both of you to being online. I promise, and I like to fulfill the promises here, that I would say, uh, tease it how people think the world will end. Well, one out of five people, is a 2018 study, think it'll end with global pandemic. Just shy of that, almost one out of five climate, climate one out of five climate change, a little bit less than that, 17% nuclear war, something else, 2% think zombies. But here's the most interesting one, I think, apropos to tonight's show, almost 15% believe that the world will end with judgment day by the brought about by the Messiah. So this is a very real topic and it's driving to some extent what we're doing, what's going on in the world stage. Thank you, Professor Weddle. Thank you, Rabbi Professor Lance Sussman. We'll catch you next time.